0: Welcome to Grazed in America podcast, I'm your host August Horstman.
1: got a few buddies that were the, that are all like ranchers around here that you can do that just sit around and yeah shit and stuff
0: yeah i need to do more of that because those are really fun um yeah i've kind of got i'd like to get multiple viewpoints at the same time and like have like a kind of like where i'm more mediate a discussion
1: <laughs> or discussion slash a little more intense yeah. discussion. yeah, yeah something I like, like
0: that, that. Yeah. um My one buddy farms with his brother and his dad. One really good friend and I said, "Well, let's uh, do let's work out like your succession planning and all that on air, yes. and I could me- I could mediate that. that.
1: That's actually a really good idea. I think that would <laughs> that would make some good content. Just like find the family too that you know is going to get a little intense too. Yeah. Like, almost like a Jerry Springer type podcast for uh, agricultural Jerry
0: Springer. Yeah. <laughs>
1: oh, good. Oh, really? yeah.
0: <laughs> that'd be awesome. Yeah. So, or like. Calling decisions you know like let's get all the cow records in yeah. here and you, let's all build cases and i'll just like sit here and listen and yes. i'll i'll yeah. make the judgment <laughs> in the end That's,
1: there you go yeah what is it like judge judy it just yeah this is your courtroom you make the final call yeah see she's been here seven years and then the sun's she's open <laughs> it's like yeah, doesn't just,
0: matter <laughs> she has a cloudy eye yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> cloudy eye don't mean nothing
0: <laughs> that would be fun that's you you're
1: on to something there i think yeah
0: <laughs> so that's i don't know we'll see if it happens i doubt it will but i i can dream yeah <laughs>
1: yeah it's easy to think how great it would be but getting someone to willing to come <laughs> on and do that might be the like, more of the challenge
0: <laughs> yeah and like we did i did one episode with some guys and it was it was really fun and we rode around and uh, looked at cows, you know. Basically, we wrote They rode around with me and insulted my cows the entire, <laughs> the
1: entire yeah. time. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I'm feeling a little bad now because I said a few things out there today. Uh, no, like, it's okay. Yeah,
0: you did not say anything near as bad oh, as what I've heard. Okay, yeah. <laughs> hey,
1: and I think I finished everything with that. It makes sense in your context, something along yeah. those lines. So. Yeah,
0: it makes sense. You have one that skinny. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah. yeah no
0: that's funny though
1: that's good you know they're buddies if they're comfortable enough to say those kinds of oh, things. oh yeah there's done. no holding back no filter <laughs> i good. wish they would
0: sometimes my mental health <laughs> wishes they would hold yeah. back <laughs> yeah. yeah that's no fun though yeah. <laughs> no it's all in good fun um but yeah uh that was a good start so i'm here with uh You want to introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, yeah, sure. So I'm Jared Lumen. I uh, am from southeast Minnesota. It worked out pretty well. I'm driving down to southern Missouri today to pick up some bulls that we co-own. And somehow mapping it, it actually took six minutes off my drive to come to your place. So kind of had to stop by, but that worked out great. Uh, But yeah, we farm up in southeast Minnesota. A couple hundred registered Red Angus beef cows, uh, crop farm, uh, a few hundred acres as well, uh, with my dad and myself. So
0: cool, yeah. Um, that's a you're a Farrow cooperative. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've been on the all three hundred cows uh, roughly.
1: Two hundred and thirty cows were calving out this spring, and yeah, they're all registered Red Angus, and we're cooperative producers for yeah Farrow Cattle Company. I think I asked my dad how long it's been. He's not even sure. Probably fifteen something years now.
0: Yeah, been with them and uh, so. I've got a few questions there um, with, yeah. so you do red Angus only. Do you have any yes. intentions to run a composite bull or put on some Herefords or, um, or it's kind of the, it's your bread and butters of the red Angus. For so them? when
1: I started, when I came home from school, I started with a small group of Hereford cattle, actually cow calf from the same guy I'm going to pick up these bulls with. And uh, ended up getting out of those a few years later, but I think it was a pain having multiple breeds and like all the composite mm-hmm. things. And we love our Reds. We spent the main thing that, you know, kind of got me out of that was after a while, um, you know, talking with people and kit and stuff is like, you, you know, in 10 years, you could have the only really good low input Hertford kind of herd around kind of a thing. And that was cool. But I'm like, we already have this fantastic red Angus group of cows that we don't need. Why spend 10 years dealing with the pain of? making these cows something that we already have in our reds and we love our reds so i can't foresee myself really doing too much different mm-hmm. the idea of composites intrigues me but i don't see i don't know like yeah. a
0: composite through his program
1: yeah yeah and and just you know if we ever went commercial uh, too, maybe could mm-hmm. see having a commer or a, a composite herd or crossbreeding for terminal sires for sure would be intriguing, but um, yeah, I think we'll probably just stick with the. Yeah. While you're reds. doing what yeah. you've got
0: and yeah. the deal you're in. Um. Yeah. So what, so 230 cows. Yeah. So let's say you got half heifers, half bulls, right? So 150, yep. 115 heifers, 115 yep. steers or bulls. Mm-hmm. So what, what happens? Let's start with your, your 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 male side so how many sure. roughly go to to the bull program how yeah. many get castrated and yeah
1: yeah so of the the bull calves and it varies every year um i would say roughly 60 percent get sent out to nebraska and colorado is where our bulls are sold um so Faro cattle company has bull sales both spring and fall sales in the spring they've got a sale in missouri Colorado and Texas, and in the fall they've got a sale in Montana, Nebraska, Colorado, and um,
0: the Alabama. Add, yeah, or they Al- added Alabama. 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 Somewhere. Yeah,
1: yes, Alabama. I think is in the fall, um, and so uh, our sell in Nebraska and Colorado. So uh, we'll pick off in January. They sent we sent them out there in January. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll pick off the ones that we think are fit to go out there. Roughly sixty percent. Uh, maybe on a good year, we might have 70% go out there. And then they develop them there from the end of January through the bull sales. And the, just the Colorado one is in October and the Nebraska is in December. So another uh, 10 to 12 months uh, longer, they're developed out there and they'll continue to weed out from there. Um, this last year, we had quite a few more culled than normal. I think there was concerns with the drought that there maybe wasn't going to be interest or something. It's just the bulls just weren't, I don't know, they didn't perform as well this year. So we had more culled last year. So I don't know what our percentage ended up being selling mm-hmm. as bulls. But that's roughly, we send out maybe 60 to 70% out there and then they call from there. And then the ones that aren't good enough to be bulls, uh, we we just sell those locally.
0: Um, Through a barn or do you have uh, just like repeat customers? This was customers? the first
1: year we, we've previous prior to this year we've always sold to one person who finished beef for nyman ranch and so he liked our genetics he was always happy with them and he came back every year but this year (laughs) price of cattle was high price of grain was high he's like i Mm -hmm. i think i'll just not buy cattle and sell my grain and and be happy that way so that's what he did um and uh we sold him to a neighbor of ours who's got a barn a feed barn of his own we sold him direct he came looked at him picked him up paid us what we both felt was a fair price looking back even a few weeks it seems like it could have maybe gotten more but we were happy with what it was at the time and yeah and uh and yeah so those are those are the ones and we've never felt too bad about selling those steers on i guess a commodity market yep. always thought that if you're going to sell anything on the commodity market like the one class of livestock that's worth the highest price per pound is your smaller steers like, yeah. yeah the lighter steer calves are the highest value per pound of any class of you know, beef almost, and so if we're going to sell something in the commodity market, that's a good one to,
0: yeah, selling. So. And it's also one of those deals. Most of your bull customers, right, are going to be selling their their male offspring. Yep. In yeah. In a commodity system, yeah. so you might as well, be, yeah. have some tie to it as well. I For mean, sure,
1: I think. Kit says like 80%. I mean, he sells, I think, 1,100 bulls a year, Farrow Cattle Company, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, number like seven on the seed stock, 100, and nobody's heard of us almost unless you're in this kind of low-input, regenerative grazing kind of a model. Yeah. But I think 80%, he says, of his customers sell their calves on the on the commodity market. Like yeah. Very few people are finishing grass-fed beef. And so a lot of times they'll look at our cows and go, oh, that's great for grass finishers you know and all, but it doesn't make sense for us commodity beef sellers. But that's, yeah, not true at all, to your point. Yeah, these... Yeah, These do just as well in a commodity system.
0: And yeah, yeah, going out to, to finish in a yard. Yeah, yeah. Um, So then on your heifers, mm-hmm. are you keeping every heifer and exposing her?
1: Yeah, so when I came back from college in 2015, we had like 140 cows, and we both kind of decided that we loved and enjoyed the grass management and the cow side, and so we kind of decided to – Just keep – well, we were always kind of keeping everything and maybe calling later and letting nature select the heifers. But we were keeping – yeah, we would keep back everything, give everything a chance to get bred. And we've just been expanding our herd now to 230 cows. And so uh, we don't know where our max capacity is. And at that point, what we'll do, um, if we'll continue to keep every heifer or if we'll sell open heifer calves and just select replacements. Mm -hmm. We haven't gotten to that place yet. We continue to keep all our heifers. I don't know – you know the heifer development it's it's expensive to develop a heifer and so we'd have to sell them for a pretty good premium to make it worth the hassle to keep them but uh yeah we're not sure what we'll do
0: yeah so when you say it's expensive to develop a heifer what are you talking just the grass and then your winter forage
1: our yeah we're in the upper midwest winter feed is our biggest expense it's it's expensive and um and just it, it's not even that we can do it profitably but when we compare, like we went to ranching for profit. I think you no, you've not been there yet. I'm not. But they uh, they talk about you know, breaking out everything into enterprises. Mm-hmm. And when we break out heifer development from cow calf, separate them out. Our heifer development enterprise is our least profitable enterprise per animal unit or per acre. Yeah. And so if we're gonna have the opportunity to put either heifers on this, you know, farm this amount of grass, we need X amount of you know acres to feed this livestock it makes more sense to put cows on that ground as opposed to heifers because those cows have a higher gross margin, a higher return Mm -hmm. to the grass. Um, We can do the heifers profitably, but it's not as profitable. And so for that reason, probably we might go to cows, but also, um, you know, we've always kind of been in the mindset of keep everything and let nature select the heifers that work for you too. apply pressure and let them, sort themselves out and if we try to pick replacements we're not really doing that anymore mm-hmm. so it's going to be hard if we want to maintain that kind of selection criteria of like letting nature select if we're not keeping everything <laughs> so yeah yeah that's kind of the <clears throat> the challenge but
0: but from a cow business like your higher gross margins on your cow right yes and so that's a profitable enterprise your cow calf yes with through the pcc program mm-hmm. yeah but If you would take, you know, how would you keep, let's say you brought in other cows instead of kept those heifers, right? Yeah. And you just brought in sale barn type cows. Yeah, it doesn't. No, it doesn't make sense. so you do would that. have to
1: We might have to. But what I was more saying is, like, we only retain the heifers that we need for replacements. Oh, so if instead we need, of doing all of yeah, them. if we want to keep back forty, if we want to mm-hmm. replace forty animals a year, we'll keep 50 60 heifers or something, as opposed to keeping one hundred and fifteen. Yeah, and and then you know selling later and stuff. So okay, yeah, okay, yeah. I'm tracking that. No, yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, because of this seed stock program, we will always need to have our own heifer development program. We can't go to like the, if in a commodity business, Mm -hmm. you're exactly right. Like what you're talking about the heifer develop, I would, I'd have the heifer development program gone completely and just buy in undervalued animals, kind of that sell by marketing concept. But yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Which we talked quite a bit about that today. And yeah, yeah. uh, (laughs) It, it makes a lot of sense, but we both have meat businesses. So from, That kind of standpoint, a meat business standpoint or the Pharaoh standpoint, or I'm trying to work on a a cow myself, Mm -hmm. you know, the sell by kind (laughs) of gets put, doesn't really get discussed, even though it seems to make sense and a lot of what we do yeah
1: and there's pieces of it that are still applicable in a cow herd and wally talks about this a lot and well and doug and all of them talk about it and stuff but on the, one of the last couple episodes i've had with wally mm-hmm. he talks about you know determining what's the undervalued class of livestock you like breaking out your cow herd by ages mm-hmm. there's still undervalued and overvalued cows in your herd and you can choose to sell the undervalued or sell the overvalued and keep the undervalued um cows in your herd so like a one-year-old you know might be undervalued to the three-year-old that's had a calf, proven herself, and got bred back, and mm-hmm. so you know, it, and the five-year-old is undervalued, uh, or but the five-year-old might be overvalued to the six-year-old or something. I mean, so determining in your within your cow herd which animals are undervalued and overvalued and selling the overvalued and under and keeping mm-hmm. the undervalued, you can still do it in a cow herd, but you're not like full on eliminating the herd and replacing the herd like in a stocker business where every two three months you might you know bring in a new herd and replace the entire herd you're not going to do that with a cow calf but okay yeah but you're right like because we have these premium markets of a direct-to-consumer business that values a certain type of genetic that you may not be able to find on the market Mm that one that finishes well on grass and has high quality beef or the seed stock market you know that we have to have our own herd we can't just buy the right kind of bull calves from the neighbor let them lose money on the cows and then capture all the market premium like it doesn't work so we have to own our own cows yeah but and if i was a commodity cow calf producer selling weaned calves um i'd have to look pretty seriously at whether or not i would own a cow at all in my context for sure with the winter feed costs um I the University of Minnesota has this Finbin data is what it's called, um, where they do analysis and yeah. all the different like through the Farm Business Management program they keep keep records on the farmers they work with, and uh, I think they found that the average producer loses. Uh, I, I should have pull I should pull it back up or something, but when I looked last, the average producer. The best of the previous four years, the average producer lost $146 a cow Mm -hmm. in the best year of the previous four years. And the worst year was like a loss of $276 per cow on average uh, across the 220 producers they kept the data on. And when I looked, you can break it down by top percentage too and only the top 20 produce 20 percent of producers actually made money mm-hmm. in Minnesota in a cow calf business and so it's like all these people 80 percent of cow calf producers in Minnesota are losing money um yeah I don't know that's yeah it's interesting kind
0: of yeah so one thing you said was uh getting rid of your Cow, yeah, it's, it's almost like you need another farm to experiment with, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. you got to have your one business, but you'd like to have another farm so you could do these other things just to see. Yeah, but yeah. at some point, <laughs> I feel like it's just gonna get it's also just going to expand what your red Angus side, right? Yeah, and it's gonna grow to that.
1: Yeah, no, uh, that would be that would be awesome. I would love to, but at the same time, it's like when you do this analysis by enterprise and you see the one that's profitable, it's awfully hard to. Justify. It's hard. It's hard to even experiment with something different that doesn't maybe have the profit. You're giving up profit potential in one enterprise. Mm -hmm. Like for us, the biggest one in our area, like we're raising organic crops. It's even hard to put ground into grass to raise cows when we can net four hundred dollars more per acre just by raising organic crops, but that doesn't fit with my landscape management goals. And so there's constantly this battle of like things I want to do and things that are good for the soil. And then here's this thing that just crushes it on the profitability. side. Yeah. Yeah. Which
0: would be organic crops from a soil health standpoint,
1: from a soil health standpoint, I'm not the biggest fan of organic crops. And because the primary reason being all the tillage it requires. Yeah. Um, I mean, we have to do uh, multiple passes of tillage, throughout the summer for weed management. Mm-hmm. Like, and and uh, there's some people that, you know, w- I will never spray, and that's the way it is, and so therefore I will till, and then I struggle with the tillage. I'm, I, I don't know. I struggle with it. It, it. The more I learned about soil health, the more I dislike it. But also there's just a lot of labor into that and a lot of work that's not that enjoyable. So
0: Yeah, but you're yeah. still net profiting.
1: Significantly higher. Where, yeah. Like, yeah, a Do lot you, higher.
0: <laughs> so, but I think that was one thing you mentioned today while we were looking around that that is a plan is to get out of cropping.
1: It's something we want to do. We just have to figure out how to, <laughs> how, do it. How to find so, another
0: enterprise to net. Yeah,
1: because like our challenge in our area, I was always raised saying that you need like a thousand acres per full time family member or per full time family to farm full-time yep Yep. um so if that was the case we have my dad's family and my family two families we need 2,000 acres Mm -hmm. and that's in cropland we have 800 acres of total pasture and cropland for two families so we're at 40 percent of the acre mass that we should based on based on commodity production need to be full-time farmers and and so we need premium markets somehow like this organic has been the reason like i I don't discredit my dad for doing organic crops. Like, that was what took our farm to where it is. Like, he he was extremely profitable doing this, worked his butt off for a long time, and, and that's what's built the farm into what it is today. Um, but our definitely our goal would be to get away from organic crops if we can and ideally go to all grazing, but it's another challenge of up in our area. Um, in cropping country, it doesn't take long to fold out a planter – You know, so it it doesn't matter if you have to, you only do 40 acres here and then you fold up the planter, go down the road a little, do another 40 acres, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't really work well for a grazing business if you got little chopped up chunks of grass. And so it's tough to run a cattle business up there where it's hard to come by large contiguous trunks, chunks of ground too. So I don't know. We're not really in the best location to be in a grazing business, but I don't know we're making it work, I guess.
0: Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah on the cropping side so your dad's been organic cropping for some time now
1: yeah 23 years he started in 2000
0: has he seen a difference in soil health as he's kind of you know I mean basically you got to use heavy tillage in that type of system has he seen things that look different from then to now
1: and he was really good about like as far as organic producers I would say my dad is like one of the I don't want to say pioneers, but, like, he was very intentional about going out and seeking out the best information and trying to be the best producer possible. So he was cover cropping, and he was rotating mm-hmm. land into perennial pastures that would graze for a few years and then break back out into crops and stuff. And so he was managing the, well, the land about as well as you can in an organic cropping system. Um, and yet, uh, but he's even admitted lately and stuff, looking back, he says, he doesn't think it's gone backwards necessarily, but he thought at the time when he started organic, this is the way forward. And he, he's kind of admitted that he's not sure that it's really progressed the soil much in 23 years. Yeah. But because of his practices, he's been able to do it without chemical and, and maintain, I would say.
0: And that's with animal integration <laughs> yeah. and cover cropping yeah. and and the, pat, the rotation back into yes. perennial grasses and back out. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you can kind of maintain per se, that organic matter where convention, you know, where the typical, you know, organic system that is continuous, you know, that stays in that kind of cropping production minus the mm-hmm. covers and stuff is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think he, uh, he, like, he incorporated all of the soil health principles really well minus soil disturbance. <laughs> like, yeah. that's the one that he couldn't do, but he was very intentional about diversity keeping a living root as much as possible, um, livestock integration, um, you know, all of those. Yep. And, and he has tried to minimize disturbance as much as possible too, but obviously when you're you in the You so far. Yeah, but like we've experimented with no-till soybeans into standing rye, roller crimp rye, mm-hmm. plant soybeans into that. So we've tried some of those things and stuff too. Like he's even, we've tried a lot of it. And I say, I refer to him a lot because, um, you know, I came home only seven or eight years ago. He'd been doing this 15 plus years before Before i even got back so a lot of what we do and and have done was attributed to what he had done uh, prior Mm -hmm. um but yeah it's it's still it's just a challenge to get it all the way but there are and i will say there are people um dan desutter and rick clark are the two guys that come to mind in indiana i think one of those i states uh, okay uh down there but up here from or up there from down here, yeah. Missouri, I guess, but down there from Minnesota, where I'm from, um, that are doing 100% no-till organic on thousands of acres-like, like three to seven thousand acres, I forget, something like that. Mm-hmm. Like, tremendous organic no-till cropping, which to me just blows my mind because I don't even know how you do it. it. To me, it's like you're trying to fight nature and plant a monoculture, yeah, right? But you're taking all of the tools in the toolbox away <laughs> you're taking away chemical you're taking away tillage but they've figured out and are doing it and they've admitted there's challenges but they're doing it so it gives me hope i guess but
0: yeah, yeah. somebody said it it kind of takes some of the just the driving you know just to get in the tractor and drive where to put more management planning and thinking back into it not yes. that that's not what people are doing but but it yeah. does it, it does take like a another l- like something else where yes. it's not just okay we need to spray on yeah. this day
1: no when you take away those tools out of the toolbox you're forced to think totally differently yeah <laughs> and there's not a wealth there's not the agronomist out there with all of the answers either so yeah yeah they literally have to figure it out as they go <laughs> and there. are so uh, huge props and respect for those guys doing it i uh I don't know. Yeah, I, I question whether it'll work long term, just because like I said, it's you're literally nature's being is to fill bare spaces and diversify and all these things. And they're trying to plant monocultures, monocrops, without all the tools that we have to fight nature. So I I don't know if it'll work long term, I sure hope that it does.
0: Yeah, and plant succession, right is annuals followed by perennials. Yeah, yeah. So
1: The perennial weeds is the challenge.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And grasses, Yeah, right? Because it's going to want to go back to prairie, which is what it was.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so uh, we'll see. I I guess ultimately that's why I love grazing is that it's, in my mind, the only way to efficiently and really well do no-till organic, (laughs) like fully organic Mm no-till. You don't need any inputs. You don't need any chemical. You don't need tillage. I mean, such an efficient, nice system. That's why I love grazing, but it's a challenge. I was mentioning to you earlier, I just love this farm here because you've got this contiguous land base and we've got yeah. half the acres on eight different sites. <laughs> and yeah. so it's like really challenging when you're split up all over the place to manage as well and efficiently.
0: Yeah, that is, you know, a giant unfair advantage, right? Yeah. is having one chunk to, to manage. You saw Crossing... A creek. <laughs> what that's like. <laughs> yeah, with newborn calves. Yeah. yeah. It has its management challenges. <laughs> yes, it does.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I would take that over a trailer in a five mile drive or something
0: yeah, any day. <laughs> true. Yeah. yeah. Could you imagine trucking all that?
1: Yeah. No, that's what we we just talking before I left here. We got the trailer hooked up to come and get these bulls down in Missouri. And when I get back, we're gonna have to we're calving right now and as we get a few day old calves we start moving cow calf pairs to some of these other farms that uh-huh. we have and so that begins such begins the process of as you know of this moving cattle around and then going to check cattle on all these different sites and stuff no it's it's uh yeah it is what it is but
0: yeah. yep, but but you're also organic and i mean that's you're up there right up it's what is that smaller farms heavier like more more small farms up that way or more people moving from the city or what is no, the average farm size up there
1: i would say there's we're we're about an hour from the cities like okay. the major cities and stuff so we're still in very rural like we're i, I laugh because i talk to people out west and stuff and i'm like man you can't even see a neighbor and we have a neighbor every quarter mile so as far as like rural america we're pretty populated yep but most of the land is still in in, in agriculture, crop, yeah, agriculture, and whatever. most of that is in crops, yes. Okay. Pretty much anything that can be in crops is in crops. Okay, so Most that's of the pasture is, like, little, like, ravines or chunks that, you know, really shouldn't or can't be cropped.
0: Okay, so that's kind of what you're more... That's why it's a lot of it's all chopped yes. up. It's not from housing or subdivisions, yes. it's from crop ground, and you guys yes, are getting exactly. these little so like, pieces that are too steep or too... Yeah.
1: In the last two years, we picked up 180 acres of pasture, which is in our area. It's pretty productive ground. I mean, it's like one and a half to two acres per cow, so that's like the ground for 90 to 100 plus cows Mm -hmm. total. But it's on four different sites, and it's all of those are cropped all around it. But they're steeper, you know, hillsides, creek beds, Mm -hmm. um, stuff like that. So yeah, that's where most of the pasture is. And then our farm, we we have put tillable ground into pasture because we can compete with conventional crops on profitability per acre with our seed stock market and stuff, yeah. but, uh, we, we can't compete with organic crops, but because we, uh, you know, valued land management, we're willing to give up some profit for yeah. the, the benefits of
0: grazing. Cool. Yeah. Um, with grazing great, you mentioned grazing covers in your organic system. Is that a winter cover that you're grazing or what, what, cause you guys get snow.
1: Yes. Yeah, we get lots of snow. Um,
0: okay. The, uh, Too much to graze through.
1: Depends. And so we graze covers what, our, what I would say my goal is to do right now is we want to maximize, like, utilize the grass as much as possible to get us till we can get on corn stalks. Okay. And, if, and I don't really want to have any extra forage once we can get on corn stalks because we have more than enough corn stalks to get us till we won't be able to graze again. And when we can't graze corn stalks, we can't come back and graze the pasture either, usually. And it's not so much a snow depth issue as it is an ice issue. Like, it gets warm and it crusts over and we can't get any more grazing in and stuff. But usually, prior to this year, the last three years, it had been around the 20th of January or later Mm -hmm. that we were able to graze through. And when most people in our area are grazing until, like, October and then they start feeding, we were able to get to the end of January that was that was a huge savings. Um, you know, so now we're feeding three months instead of six or something. Mm-hmm. But uh, this last winter, snow came early and froze over, and so we were done by the middle of December, which hurt a little bit. But when we're great, usually what we do cover crops-wise is sorghum sedan grass, and that's a warm season that we use to kind of get through our summer slump of the late summer mm-hmm. when our cool seasons slow down. We kind of use that to balance out our forage supply. Okay. Um, yeah, Yeah. That's been the main reason.
0: Okay, so then your cows, you spring grass, use mm-hmm. some sorghum sedan to get you through some of the summer slump. Yeah, graze, 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 Fall, you're grazing some covers that went on after your crop production.
1: No, or not just, so much. In our area as far north as we are, not many covers can get planted. like the cover crops come off end of September, October november mm-hmm. and there's not much growing season left to get cover crop growth like oh. we'll plant covers but you don't get much growth okay, in the fall. so, so we're grazing s- crop
0: residue at that point okay and then you get spring covers that you graze we
1: do but we don't usually graze them <laughs> because okay. for a couple of reasons well one is uh we already have an abundance of forage in the spring i mean that's our cool seasons our spring flush mm-hmm. we have 60 percent of our growth in may and june so we have way more sp- forage in the spring than we are than we need so uh we don't need the covers for that and also it's pretty wet usually in spring and there's not a lot of root structure and so it muds up the ground pretty quickly on those covers okay. and usually the plan with the covers is to go into a crop after them mm-hmm. and if we muck them up and rip it up you then know we're we got kind more of to fix. we got more to fix and so usually we're making hay on our cool season or we're roller crimping it for soybean production or we're just using it as kind of a green manure and we till it under or terminate it uh, somehow, you know, to go into a crop.
0: Okay. Yeah. So you guys are baling the hay that gets you through the winter?
1: Yes. Or buying. Um, we've gone from, and that's, we've gone from making and selling a lot of hay to increasing the cows and uh, reducing the amount of, like we've, we consume about the same amount of hay as we did when we had 140 cows. But we have 230 now. We've done that by extending the grazing season from October till the end of January. Um, so we we still feed about the same amount of hay that we did, but we feed a lot more cows doing it. Um, but yeah, we do usually our part of our spring flush management is the warm season grasses, and part of it is hay. Usually when we when we start grazing and we get to where the stuff we started grazing on is ready to regraze, mm-hmm. everything that's still ahead of us will make a cutting of hay on it. Mm-hmm. And then we'll rotate that back into the grazing rotation on the next one, and then we'll get two or three more rotations on that. It's just in the grazing, uh, in the grazing rotation.
0: Do yeah. Do you, do you impl- apply fertilizer?
1: We have not applied fertilizer on pasture as long as I can remember.
0: But, and you also take a cutting of hay off of it, and yes. but you incorporate cows right away.
1: Yes, in the next rotation, you know, it, it yep. gets one cutting of hay and then two to three grazings, probably two grazings off of it after that mm. typically.
0: That's pretty yeah. cool.
1: Yeah, and and we will bale graze back out on the land too. So when we feed our hay in the winter, it's always out on pasture. So we're getting that fertility back out there somewhere. We're usually not putting it directly where it was pulled off or picking the low fertilizers places, the low fertility places, and, and you know, feeding it, it where, where it needs it more so, but
0: yeah. And you you said you're bale grazing? Yes. so you,
1: It's not in the way that I would like. <laughs> um, and I don't know. There's people who do it in our area, and my dad's always said how challenging it is to make dry hay in our area. So we don't make any dry hay. We wrap everything, and it's wet. Because it's wet, we can't just set it all out in the fall, or it'll freeze solid like a rock. Uh, so okay. we, we set out about four days' worth at a time. We'll bring out four days' worth at a time. They can eat that, and then we'll come out with four days' worth more and move it a little bit, we'll feed them, you know, right next to that, and we'll cover the ground slowly, but we don't set it all out in the fall. Okay. But we only have to start a tractor every four days instead of every
0: day. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Um, And cover, or corn stalks, what Mm -hmm. do you know about it? What do you like? How long have you been grazing stalks?
1: Yeah, we've been doing it for like four years now. Well, we've always grazed our own corn stalks, but we never have that much corn ground, so we'd always graze it. Pretty quick, yeah. Um, but a few years ago, there was a neighbor who's a no-till crop farmer. Um, no-till being important because it's hard to graze corn stalks that have been chisel plowed or you know buried already in the fall. Most people in my area turn it black as soon as they can get out there. So there's not many corn stalks to graze. But this no-till farmer had kind of realized the importance of livestock integration and wanted livestock in his land, and so he mm-hmm. asked if we wanted to graze on his corn stalks. And um, he's been fantastic to work with. Um, And so we graze on his corn stalks and he's got more corn than we could graze. Like if we could, maybe if we could graze all the way through winter, he might run out of corn stalks. But we've never run out. It's always been a snowfall before running out of corn stalks issue for us. Um, But we'll bring him to his place uh, as soon as the ground is solid. It's either dry or it's frozen. He doesn't want him there in the fall if it's muddy, a muddy mess. Mm -hmm. So we wait till the ground's frozen and then we'll graze on corn stalks. And that's fantastic. I mean, it's the nice thing is, I mean, it costs 2 plus dollars a day probably to feed a cow through the winter on on feed somehow. Mm-hmm. And we can do it for 60 to 70 cents a day on corn stocks, mm. which is practically yep. free. I mean, it's really reasonable.
0: Yeah, some of the winter grazing rates I was hearing down here was going to be like 230.
1: Really? Wow. Yeah. For a pair or for a cow, for just a dry or cow. cow, Yeah, electric, or, Yeah, dry cow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So if we can do it for sixty to seventy cents or something, that's we're really happy with that. And that's because for him, it was just gonna sit there otherwise. I mean, it wasn't gonna get utilized. He wasn't gonna till it under. And so if we can, he we probably get sixty cow days per acre. And if he can get sixty cents, that's thirty six dollars an acre more. Yeah, plus your fertilizer. Plus yeah, the fertility. plus he's, yeah, he's yeah, exactly. So there's really no disadvantage for him and. He, he makes a little bit of money. We get to save a, uh, a lot of money for our cow feed. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we're pretty happy with that. The challenge, like I mentioned, is just that snowfall and that
0: ice. What about water?
1: Um, <laughs> we're fortunate, again, with him is that we're 10 miles east, and we don't have any live water creeks, tile lines that run or something like that on any of our farms. And he's 10 miles west, and every one of his farms that we've grazed on either has a creek that runs all year or a tile line that runs all winter, so they're just drinking out of the, yeah, out of those. He doesn't have any waters set up, which is super <laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah,
0: that's pretty crazy. Yeah,
1: we've been lucky for that, yeah.
0: And you take your whole herd there?
1: Um. So it's going to get a little more confusing here now. Uh, three years ago was the first year we tried sending our cows to Nebraska, and so we actually sent all of our cows to Nebraska and sent our heifers to him. So about 200
0: cows went to Nebraska.
1: Four truckloads, so 165. We 160. got about 100. We got like 42 animals, so like 168 or so cows we sent to Nebraska, mm-hmm. and all our bred heifers went to his place. Um, and uh, we did that for two years, and it was good. The pro, like we paid 75 or 85 cents a day per cow. But the challenge was the trucking. It was like, after trucking down there, uh, it worked out to around a buck sixty a day, which was still maybe better than feeding hay plus we didn't have to do any work Mm -hmm. it was like the last i see him load him up on the truck and i don't see him for four more months and they come back and it was a buck 60 a day and i didn't have to do a thing for him so that was nice uh but last winter he uh, he didn't want him back i think he maybe lost an employee and didn't have the labor or something he he said so he didn't want him back Mm -hmm. but uh yeah so Kind of confusing because four years ago everything was his place. Then for two years the cows were in Nebraska and the heifers were at his place. And then this last year everything was back at his place. Okay, and (laughs) you truck them to
0: him too on semis?
1: We do that ourselves with our trailer. Just the one trailer? Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, we have a We got a twenty-eight footer at home this year because this little twenty-footer it was like I don't know fifteen loads or something. Yeah. (laughs) And the last kind of (laughs) not so funny at the time, but a funny story. The last load. Uh, the, the the first time we were hauling him back pulled out of his place and got about 50 feet in the back tire of the, the wheel the whole wheel of the truck fell off and just oh. down to the hub right on the ground and so we had to unload the trailer on the road and some in the dark and walk him back onto his place and that was a pain in the butt but <laughs> yeah we uh we did upgrade to a, a downgrade in quality probably but upgrade in length to a 28 foot trailer so they year. got two to go we only well, my dad's gone in winter so i i still haul them all but at least a
0: few less loads (laughs) where's he go
1: his (laughs) kind of another odd thing his wife lives in canada british columbia canada Uh she has a farm up there and he goes up there most of the winter she comes down here in the summer oh so it works out because we really don't need two people for labor in the winter yeah so he gets gets out of there and it's actually nicer in canada up there they have the ocean effect so it's like 50 and and green grass all winter long Really? yeah so he gets to snowbird north and uh we uh, we manage the place in the winter but
0: yeah huh that's crazy okay, <laughs> you know the, the snowbird effect so then or yeah. or the ocean effect i yes. guess not snowbird effect yes. so do they have cows up there what what kind of farming She's is that a chicken farm chicken yeah. farm like poultry houses like or a pa- poultry oh, barn yeah oh, a big oh. chicken barn yep and then in the summertime, do they have? Ch- does she have chickens? Or she does, yeah.
1: But she, her son is helping there, and oh, um, cool, yeah, stuff like that, and still, yeah, kind of Did a unique situation, but
0: yeah. <laughs> do you have moose up where you are?
1: Further northern Minnesota, they do. We're not. We're, I not like to say there. we're in the tropical side of the state. We're in. Okay, you're <laughs> on the southern side. Yeah, yeah, we're southeast. Yeah. Okay. You know, don't have moose yet,
0: but are they coming?
1: I would love it if they had more of that, but I doubt it. No, <laughs> although I think I ran, I think I saw a story of like a random moose in the Twin Cities this winter or something. So maybe they are. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're moving south. Huh?
0: Crazy. Hmm. Um, yeah, I I like uh, well hearing about other people's uh, places and. Yeah. things they got going um yeah i don't think we plugged your podcast though so i think you mentioned an app ep- you referred back to a episode or two with wally olson but oh sorry. we better plug it
1: yeah no so i i do the herd quitter podcast thank you for the opportunity to plug it yeah the herd quitter podcast which august has been on i don't remember which episode off the time it was a ahead, while
0: but... ago i believe yeah w- i think it was within your first year or year yeah. and a half how many years have you been doing it
1: it was February, so a little over two years. It was February of something back then. Just trying to look huh. back and find it now, but um, uh, yeah. For those who maybe haven't heard the whole story of your farm, you did an episode here a little bit ago with your brother, where he asked a bunch of questions about you and kind of your farm and stuff. But uh, if they haven't and they want to learn more about, yeah, farm, you I, I send people.
0: I send people to that one. Um, just got search. But that important. was a while. That was a while ago. Um, I was just spending oh, all this time scrolling for it. it came and I can out, just press the search bar. Episode twenty one. <laughs> okay, and it came out in June of twenty one. That's
1: right, June twenty eighth, twenty twenty one. Okay, episode twenty
0: one. <laughs> cool. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, to that one. so what all have you learned? Have you have you oh. implemented things that you've learned?
1: Yeah, that's a good <laughs> that's a good question. I should have thought about that more. Um, man. I feel like I have to look through the episodes. There's so many, they all just kind of like... Yeah, I guess
0: that's kind of a, a hard question that hits you right off the side. I <laughs> no guess worries. one thing I would see from Mayan looking would be, and maybe you were between ranching for profit and having those guys that talk more about the buy, sell marketing. And I don't know if that's helped you maybe sharpen pencils on enterprises and really assessing business management decisions. Is that fair to say?
1: I would say so. Yeah. And I don't know if that's specifically the guests or just like a progression of my interest in the business. And I, I definitely enjoy numbers probably has come from a lot of those guests I talked to, but I enjoy analyzing the business. And mm-hmm. I'd say one, one thing that we probably, I probably learned talking to all these people from all over the country is i uh, <laughs> I'm in a pretty bad place to try being cow calf producer. <laughs> it's probably one of the things I've learned the most, which is pretty sad. So I come down here to Missouri and think, man, this is where I ought to be. You know, I always like to talk to some of the people who have experience all over the place. Yeah. Um, like Jim Howell, I don't know if you heard of him, yep, yep. Grasslands LLC, he manages hundreds of thousands of acres all over the place, and Jim Garish, who's, you know, mm-hmm. done consulting all over the place, and Jim says Missouri, specifically northern Missouri or southern Iowa is like cattle country, it's the perfect place for cow-calf and stuff, really? and, like. and I, I don't know, yeah, it's interesting. And so I come down here, and I'm like, yeah, I can see it. And
0: <laughs> and I would say, more talking to some of the people in Missouri, they're going to say south of us, like down right. into West Plains. I mean, it gets a, West Plains over towards Springfield, sure. you know, yeah. uh, 44 to 63. And then you take 63 to the. I mean, that's cow calf country, yeah. too. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, yeah. And we did so going to ranching for profit my dad went last february a year so like 15 months ago a year ago from this past february Mm -hmm. and he came back and was like really seriously thinking like we ought to move our ranch (laughs) i was supposed to go with him but then i got covid so i couldn't go but he came back and he was like calling realtors and he was looking in kansas southern missouri oklahoma those kind of areas Mm -hmm. is where it seems from what i've heard and people i've talked to but yeah like I can say that, and every person out there listening from Southern Missouri and stuff is saying it's not that. I mean there's everybody's got its challenges, you know, <laughs> I don't want to say I've just got it so tough or anything, and it's our choice to stay there, but we've got challenges, just like
0: yeah, you know, I mean your winner would be winter is one for, for land cows.
1: cost is one, yeah yeah, and
0: tough. what's driving the land cost just crop production
1: crop production and and it seems like just I mean it's like everywhere there's a lot right now what's driving it is just, it seems like a lot of people have a lot of money. They made a lot of money the last few years, crop farmers specifically, the last few years for cropping has been really good. Um, There was... So there's a lot of cash in a lot of people's pockets, burning burning holes in pockets and there was low interest rates and everything. And so that drove land prices up mm,
0: like okay. thirty so it's, percent real It's quick. not people wanting to get away from the city moving that way. I wouldn't with say money. that's
1: such an impact. No. I I, we're, I would say we don't have much of like urban driving nope. values okay. yet. Now we could in my lifetime, we're like 45 minutes North of Rochester and an hour South of the cities, right in between the two of them. And it seems like they're almost growing together. Mm -hmm. Like those are two of the the twin cities, the biggest in Rochester's Mayo clinic. It's IBM pretty Mm -hmm. uh, up and coming city and stuff. So we'll see maybe someday that'll be different, but I'm, I don't know. I, people are a lot of times emotionally attached to land and I am, I love our land and it's been a family heritage for a long time. But at the same time, if somebody came and said, I'll pay you three times what your land is worth for development purposes. And I can go buy a contiguous property somewhere else that's better for cow, calf country. I'd,
0: you think you'd do it? I think
1: I would. The, I think I would. <laughs> I don't know. It's interesting. So like I mentioned, when my dad, uh, came back and we were looking at other properties yeah we were really seriously thinking about it and from a business perspective everything we looked at it was like yes you should move and my wife credit to her who's very uh intelligent and thoughtful and stuff we were driving back from meat deliveries in the cities once and she was just like this was, this is not every two week period in our life, but it was, a, happened to be a very social couple weeks. <laughs> and she's like, think about what we've done in the last couple of weeks. We had dinner with Justin and Andrea, our friends. We had dinner with my parents went down and we went dinner with mm-hmm. your parents. And we went to church with all our friends. We talked to these guys at church and stuff like that. And if we were in Missouri, we wouldn't know anybody. Our family would all be gone. All of our college friends would be gone. She's like, you know, there's something to that. And we're like, You're right. Like I'm willing to give up some profit. We can be profitable here. We can make a good living. I don't need to maximize my profit just, but give up my whole social life and family and friend network. And so that's, that's probably, I'm more tied to the social network than to the land specifically.
0: Okay, cool. And yeah, I think during that period, I think I, you, we were even texting back and forth about that maybe a little bit. Then you just said, you know, I think we're going to stay from a social aspect and yeah, like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'll
1: send you, you all the ones that I found then now so you can yeah you can
2: so pick I,
0: them up yeah, we can go after I can go after them yeah my, I
1: can buy it and you can manage it there we go me. that yeah. sounds good <laughs> yeah No, it's I don't know, what do you what do you think about that I mean could you leave this
0: what yeah that's, that's what, what, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I could leave it this place but I would sure like to manage another one mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think but I mean <laughs> I <laughs> yeah but I mean I have Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think it would be neat to have the opportunity to manage another piece in addition to this one. But to be able to capitalize on other enterprises or, you know, where this one's more focused to maybe building a cow that I think fits my context and work, you know, the meat business. I mean, 60 miles from St. Louis, right? That's my market. It makes sense that... This would be, you know, where the finishers are. Yeah. But, you know, doing something deeper, you know, deeper south, southwest of here, where maybe my further away from a market and focusing more on the buy sell and, uh, in that way, but, mm. but trying to figure out that aspect of it. But then both of them need to benefit from each other.
1: Yeah yeah interesting like i know i i thought at one point maybe a place down here missouri would make a lot of sense and have like a group of fall cavers that are four or five weights by the spring that can go up to our minnesota place and just graze through the summer yeah and we don't have any fall calving kind of like a beneficial you know kind of yeah like one that bene-
0: yeah and that would that would go hand in hand or like you said that would benefit each other. So maybe the, my genetic base would go to a different place South and then Mm -hmm. all the stuff that falls out and coals would come to the finishing finishing facility.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. This could be your finishing farm. Although you probably, hopefully you can grow your market to what this can finish too. But yeah, this is a, this is, yeah. I mean, it'd
0: be close to 300 beeves a year. Yeah, probably. But, or if it, you know but to get to that if you're doing it all off your own genetics you're gonna have to have 600 cows some yeah, <laughs> yeah. somewhere else you're gonna have to have yeah. 600 cows somewhere else yeah, yeah. so <laughs> that's so interesting and then you so go ahead nope no you're fine well like so i've thought as well about like i
1: would love to manage a place somewhere else and i'm curious your thoughts on this and i talked to my dad about that i was like i'm not opposed to buying a place somewhere else i just don't want to move there mm-hmm. that doesn't mean we can't own and manage a place and hire a manager. We can go down there. We could like I commented on your uh runway at your place down here or something yeah. like that. I could get a runway on a ranch. I could fly down and just go mm-hmm. help out on the busy times, you know, the calving season. Yeah. You know those things. I mean, he wasn't so interested in that, which is totally fine. He's the equity holder. If he's not interested in that, we won't do that and stuff. Someday, I could see potentially doing that. But what are your thoughts on manage? Would you try and find a place? No, you said like further southwest. How would you manage that place? How active would you be? That would be like
0: you know the big days, the fun days, yeah, yeah, (laughs) the the work cattle work days. But you would have to have a place big enough for. A person to work at a labor unit. Yeah, yeah, you would have to have at least one labor unit.
1: Yeah, the nice thing is if their busy seasons somehow are opposite, that you could have a labor unit managing each, and you can kind of flex between the two for the times that they require extra labor, maybe somehow.
0: Yeah, but if you're gonna run a you know six hundred head cow calf, there's still going to be there year round. And then your finishing herd would still be need an entire year round labor unit.
1: Yeah. But if you had a manager on each and then you could kind of flex between the two. Yeah. You would definitely seasons.
0: Yeah, definitely. You would definitely, and probably hire a lot more of the fence work done (laughs) day to day stuff. Yeah. Yeah, You'd get your infrastructure set up and then I think one guy can run. Well, I know one guy can run this. Yeah, 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 you're doing it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, but, a
1: question for you, put you on the spot here. If yep. you don't mind me asking, can one guy do it? If you paid the guy for like, if he's not invested, in, a lot of times people work more than the one labor equivalent because it's their place, they're mm-hmm. willing to do the work of two. Could yep. one person do your job here if you paid if they were working like a regular employee? Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I yeah I see what you're saying. And I would say probably not because if you would look at it from two different, you know, you have your cows, your livestock, your grass management, right? Then you have the meat business side. So could one person do, you know, have a nice job doing the 40 hour, you know, doing a 40 hour week with your cows and grass and chores, maybe on Saturday, Sunday. Yes, but it would take me to work on the meat business side to get the sales yeah. up where it made sense sure. to bring another person on.
1: You couldn't hire a manager here and expect them to manage your meat business too. Like this the ranch itself is it's is I think its,
0: because I mean is the yeah. ranch manager going to sign on to to drive two hundred and two to three hundred <laughs> miles on a Tuesday to deliver yeah. meat? Yeah. Door to door? Probably not. But yeah. could you ask the meat the manager to to go get cows for the meat business or haul to the Mm -hmm. haul stuff for the meat business or take photos of certain things that I need probably. Yeah. But
1: it's one of the, I want to get on my podcast, Sage Askin, like he's got, I think like three different main kind of operation centers or something. I think he talks about units or whatever.
0: Yeah. Like what he does.
1: Yeah. But I like I think he, he manages ranches in like three separate locations, like Western Nebraska, somewhere in Wyoming, and maybe somewhere in Montana or something. And Uh I need to talk to him just specifically about like how he manages these different location sites. You know, I feel like everybody thinks that I can only manage a farm that is where I can physically manage it. Like a crop farmer says, I'm only going to go 20 mile radius around my farm because it gets inefficient or something like that, or a cattle guy Mm -hmm. where I can drive to where I can manage from the center and where I can utilize the labor. But yeah i like i think that's so cool like or what like jim howell is doing again yeah with grasslands and stuff they get a labor or a unit big enough to justify the labor to manage it and then they just manage the high level stuff it's yeah that stuff buying and me. selling <laughs> and what
0: to sort and things yeah. like that i yeah. guess yeah. Right, well, wouldn't that be what it is? I mean, because if you have two people, one running one place, run running the other place, and then you're just traveling back and forth making sure jobs get done. I mean, you're gonna have to be doing something yeah. else to progress it. Yeah. And then what is that? Figuring out market trends and yeah, what you're what you're buying to put on them, or
1: yeah, probably. I, I you or know d- I think they're just they're managing the people. They're managing the big decisions. You kind of become a high-level CEO as opposed to a day-to-day manager yeah. operator, and and probably have less to do, which would be nice for a lot of people in agriculture. who are spending eighty hours a week working. They probably yeah. Really. I
0: guess we say a lot less to do. Just have a just a normal yeah. forty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: So I don't know. It's interesting. I'd love to manage <laughs> a place somewhere, and I just love experiencing different things. So yeah. How cool would it be to experience managing a grass-based operation and Missouri and one in Nebraska and one in the yeah it would
0: be neat I would like to have something out west yeah Yeah. uh just for that experience all around I mean even if it is 2,000 stockers on a BLM lease for for 60 days yeah and maybe
1: that's a good way to do it but I was gonna say like I was I love the west too but the idea of like the complete destocking that they deal with like two years ago we had the worst drought that people are talking about since like '87, I think, mm-hmm. and we managed to squeeze through without destocking. <laughs> like that was the worst drought we ever had. We didn't make quite as much hay, and we had to buy in a little extra yep. hay and stuff. But like, folks out west, they have to deal with like, okay, do we? We have to sell off the entire herd now, <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. or yeah, fifty percent of it. Yeah,
1: that that kind of a yeah that but, stresses me out too. So.
0: But see, on some of those deals, right, you're. You know you're working with a registered herd where you've built your your cows, right? You know yeah. you're walking through them. If one would lose an ear tag, there's a pretty good chance you might know who she is and where she came from just yeah. by looking at her. You know, on some of those places, if they're running <laughs> six to six hundred to a thousand cows, and yeah, and most of the time, you know, I don't I don't want to say most of the time because I don't know, but if those cows are coming in, is you know 3 year old pairs or something and you know it's it seems like that would be more easy to destock in a system where you have it yeah. like you're not
1: emotionally attached to the
0: yeah i think and that's the that's the issue that i have right because i (laughs) i you know like i've been working with you know i know which gas station i picked you up from i know you know (laughs) i know what (laughs) i know where you came from i know right where i met the guy on the highway and Mm -hmm. and stuff like that and just to think about getting rid of it, it's like well but you could make good you know, or to, well, looking at the bigger picture of where I'm yeah. headed, you know, it seems like you could just get rid of them, and mm. and then buy undervalued, which is, uh, you know, these seven-year-old pair, you know, young pairs, thin yeah. seven-year-old pairs right now. Yeah. so.
1: Yeah. No, that there's probably truth to that. I uh, I, it's interesting. Like I don't find myself that emotionally attached to the cows, even though we have these fantastic cows that my grandpa and my dad built for mm. decades that you know they're wonderful cows i know that but it's i find myself much more attached to the the land and the grazing and then the business side of mm-hmm. this more so than the cows themselves like if the number is said tomorrow to sell the cows i might <laughs> <laughs> really i i might be able to if i was confident that that was a long-term best thing like yeah if i knew for 10 years these cows would not be a moneymaker maker. I'd probably mm-hmm. sell them in a
0: heartbeat. <laughs> yeah, but how would you I mean, you that's would, like, you what would. if? It's right? just
1: like a theoretical thing and stuff. But I know people who know for a fact their cows lose them money every single year. But and they, they continue to own them because they love the cows. Yeah. And I'm saying that if I knew for a fact my cows were losing money, they'd be gone in a heartbeat. I'm not emotionally attached to my cows. Yeah. Even though I have decades and generations of my family, not just generations of cows, but my grandpa started this Red Angus Herd.
0: Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm tracking with what you're saying. And yeah. I think I would be, I'm thinking I'm in the same boat. Like I could get rid of it if I knew they were, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, not making money.
1: Yeah. 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 Or that there was something
0: better or something. Yeah. But know? it turns out I don't know my books enough, so I can't make those decisions yeah. right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. And that is,
1: that is honestly like one thing that we need to get better at too. <laughs> I just had this week released one of John Haskell of Ranch Right LLC and uh-huh. stuff. And like, man. He's expensive, <laughs> but I really want to use that service Yeah, get a better handle on my numbers like so bad because yeah. we need to do better at it. <laughs>
0: yeah. And that's finding that, that kind of farm ranch accountant. Mm-hmm.
1: Exactly. <laughs> it's yeah, difficult. Plus, and, and like he says, I mean, he, he went to ranching for profit. He puts it in that kind of a model too, or you can mm-hmm. break it out by enterprise and you can look at gross margin analysis between enterprises and stuff and I know it's valuable, but it's, you're talking a lot of money. So <laughs> yep. yeah, but maybe someday it's, it's like kind of a chicken in the egg or a, you know, put the cart before the horse. like, do you invest in something like that to know your numbers better, to make the best business decisions, to make more money? Or do you figure out how to make more money first to invest in that, to make better business decisions kind of a thing. So mm-hmm.
0: yeah. Huh? Yeah. That's, I don't know. This. a like, Fun conversation to have, you know, kind of planning and not planning, but just kind of like, where do you want surprising. it? Yeah, where Dreaming. do you want to go, or what? Yeah. What would you like to see? I mean, yeah. do you think you can m- make money enough money to cash flow and buy land?
1: Oh, good question. We've been talking a little bit about Airbnb here today, driving around, <laughs> seeing all your beautiful uh, prairie pasture or beautiful pastures here and stuff, and I. I'm really intrigued by that idea. I think one thing that is cool about this grass-based business model is its beauty and mm-hmm. people love it. Like we had a farm event for our customers last fall where we put a big tent on top of our pasture and looked out over the whole farm and we had a hundred something people come out and they just loved it. Like yep. we get to experience it every day. We take it for granted. But mm-hmm. People love it and they will pay big money to be able to experience it. And so I think tapping into that somehow I've talked to people who have houses on their ranch that they make like pretty much pays their salary just to rent out that that house. And I know people who have put a little yurt in a woods on their little acre, little acreage and they make a living off of a yurt in their woods. Yeah. And people who do like a little vintage camper that you could buy for less than 10,000 bucks and it makes over $10,000 in a summer. Like there's big money to be made in that. And I, I do think that that is a probably a way to, Help it cash flow and to make it work, but purely cash flow produce inorganic crops. I could, I'm pretty sure I could <laughs> do that. <laughs> yeah, I could, but again, do I want to? Am I willing to do that? I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that you make up a good point, right? One enterprise may not cash flow to buy land, you know, yeah. well, you know, cow calf, mm-hmm. but you know, cow calf with maybe some direct marketing. Yeah. And then other things that aren't late extremely labor intensive all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's going to tie you up causing you to do chores mm-hmm. constantly. So maybe bees mm-hmm. uh like a like a rental house per se mm-hmm. or like a Airbnb, you know, those yeah. types of things add up. I think off too often people I got or from my experience, you know, that was spring and fall calving. I had a meat business, mm-hmm. pasture pork, pasture layers, broilers. Yeah. I had a few goats.
1: Death by diversification. <laughs> yeah. And then,
0: you know, yeah. so what is that's like seven deals. Yeah. You know, you spent half the day just doing chores yeah. and and checking on everything and yeah. then
1: And that's where like we probably all need to get better at this working on the business versus working in the business. Like mm-hmm. all of that stuff. Is probably like fifteen dollar an hour work. Yeah. Now. I mean you could hire that done for that. And then you could focus on renting out a particular property uh, at, at five hundred dollars a night and making big money because you took the time to go out and, you know, stage it, photograph it, put together an ad, put it on Airbnb and post it and respond to texts and messages about this property and all of a sudden you're making five hundred bucks a night because you took the time to stop doing something that you paid someone 75 bucks a day to do
0: yeah <laughs> or something you know yeah no I think I think that's good yeah
1: but then the other question is what do we want to do <laughs> with our time if you've now gotten yourself a job that makes you a bunch of money but you hate it every day because <laughs> you're not doing the stuff you love like rolling out polywire and you know spending time with the cows did you really do yourself a favor
0: yeah <laughs> and that's where kind of getting rid of a lot of those other enterprises, you know, and just focusing on, I enjoy the customer interaction from a meat business and, uh, you know, pushing genetics to, to a lower input system, which, you know, provides for my meat business also makes a better cow herd. Yeah. You know, that's the part I enjoy. I enjoy the, the, the selling little cow groups here and there for X amount of money.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I, and if that's the stuff you enjoy, I don't know, yeah, like I go back and forth on this personally. Do I want to spend all my time doing that, making a little bit of money, or do I want to focus on making a lot of money doing stuff I don't enjoy, investing that into something that can make me enough money that I don't need to work, and I can go back to doing the jobs that I want to do in the first place. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I kind of mentioned, like my wife and I are trying to buy rentals, and I kind of see that almost as our, goal of like, we'll just buy these cash flowing assets so that it doesn't matter if I'm doing the $15 an hour jobs that I enjoy because I don't need to make $150 an hour anymore. <laughs> I mean, yeah. well, you know, I don't know. It's because you got the investments elsewhere and stuff. Yeah. So, I yeah. don't know. That's a good yeah.
0: point. Do you manage those yourself or do you use a property management?
1: No, we we manage them ourselves. Yeah. It's so pretty lot- minimal work. Yeah.
0: So have you got to like repairs and stuff like that? Broken dishwashers, clogged garbage, uh, garbage disposals.
1: Yeah, yeah, we've replaced a washing machine and a refrigerator and a um, couple things and uh, yeah, little things. But overall, it's I'm just waiting for the big. Yeah. Oh, I never should have done this kind of moment. Or something, <laughs> but so far, we're I think not quite three years in and oh really so, so you're a few
0: yeah. yeah you've got a couple of years it's a, yeah. this isn't a new thing for you
1: it's i mean it's the last couple of years yeah time flies by now but yeah um but yeah it's not it's not like fun like i love driving out on the four-wheeler to check the cows i don't love going out <laughs> fixing a washing machine that's not like (laughs) exciting but uh i don't know it's just it it is what it is like i'd love to buy farmland you ask about cash flowing farmland i would love to buy farmland but it doesn't cash flow or even come close hardly yeah that's stressful and like we talked about the like if you buy a farm if i buy a farm tomorrow and i put cows on it and those cows you know my seed stock cows and those cows have a calf and they sell i don't get a paycheck from those bulls until next December yeah <laughs> you know I mean whereas if I buy a rental not only do I have to not go out and buy off a like a million dollar chunk like a farmland I can buy off a small rental at a time uh you know 150,000 thousand dollar rental and put a small down payment on it and cash flow day one like as soon as I get rent it starts cash flowing and stuff farmland just doesn't do that so I don't <laughs> know it's just different I don't know. I'd love to buy farmland. I still hope to someday, but haven't had the right opportunity yet. So yeah, yeah. it's a tight market. <laughs> so, so a lot of for sale signs around down here on the way down here. So I don't know if this is different down here, but
0: I guess it just depends. I mean, I don't know if it'd be necessarily farmland. Sure. Yeah. Or Worth. Was, I mean, yeah. it might be expensive. Yeah. Like, yeah, maybe yeah, freakishly expensive. Um, so, you also have a meat business we haven't really touched yeah. touched on that yep uh what 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 is it what do yeah. you how does it operate? How do I buy sure
1: so grass fed cattle company is the brand um, and we actually kind of took over this brand from a couple in the twin Cities. They were not farmers they just were buying like quarter they were buying quarter beefs from farmers and all their friends were like oh i want some so they started buying whole beef and they'd separate it all out on their kitchen table and they're like well this is people want this they want this little chunk of meat mm-hmm. like they want it." so they started doing that for other people and they kind of scaled it up and they were selling you know a little bit of beef and and then some pork um in the twin cities and they kind of got a freezer space up there um and a few years back 2019 my wife and I saw that and my wife was working in retail store management in Aldi it was a very high pressure stressful job and it was not what she wanted to do long term and she wanted to be home and we wanted to have a family and we wanted her to be able to be home and be more flexible and they were trying to get out of this meat marketing business and so we kind of took that over from them and have since grown it now to first thing we asked was like what do people want and they said chicken so we added chicken and um We added deliveries and deliveries around the Twin Cities and stuff. So we sell beef, pork, and chicken, grass-fed beef, pastured pork, and pastured chicken from our farm and then a couple other farms around the area. Um, We don't produce it all. We produce all the chicken. We buy all our pork from someone else, and then we raise a portion of the beef. Um, We only sell our grass, our our open heifers. Like Mm -hmm. I mentioned, we sell all our steers and stuff uh, as as calves, but – so that's what we're doing with that. We have a freezer space in the middle of the Twin Cities, which I think is one of our kind of unfair advantages or our kind mm-hmm. of what's really helped us is uh, the previous owners set it up. It's, it's, it's kind of like a basement location in a really nice neighborhood. It's not like an actual storefront. It's just like a storage room in the basement, but there's 12 chest freezers and we have all this meat there and people can order online, pick the day we're up there four times a month. Um, they pick the day they want to uh, come pick up the meat Uh, where they're like two hours a day, four days a month. Um, They come, they give us a call when they're there. We bring their box right up to their car. They don't even have to step out and then they leave. Um, And so it's kind of all designed around convenience for them. Mm -hmm. So where they don't have to go out to the processor in the middle of nowhere. And um, also rather than like just selling by the carcass weight and that they don't know how much they're going to get and they have to call the processor and figure out what they want. Uh, we have everything in prepackaged eighths everything is an eighth quarter half a quarter is obviously just two eighths. a half is four eighths. every eighth is 45 pounds it has the same amount of cuts every time oh, so they wow. know exactly what they're going to get so it's all about kind of convenience and simplicity for them yeah and, and then we also offer delivery as well for kind of an extra fee
0: cool so yeah. those are the only options you have is an eighth that You don't do ground beef? or
1: we do, we do lots of other stuff. So how we do it is we bring in five head of beef at a time,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, uh, and we box up as many eighths as we can. Um, and we'll always run out of one cut first. We've never had it where we have exactly the right amount of cuts to make it ultimate eighths. So okay. eventually we'll run out of ribeye steaks or run out of brisket or something like that. And whenever we run out of something and we can't make any more eighths, Everything else we have, we list individually. We just take individual cuts, and we list it on the website Mm -hmm. by the cut. And so people can come on. That's how we do our inventory management kind of is like – and we may be out of ribeyes for a long time because we always run out of ribeyes really fast, but we have all these other things. So after we make all the Ace, we list everything we have extra on the website by the cut, by the pound. They can buy that. Uh, We also have monthly meat clubs. We have five- and six-pound subscriptions. We have 11-pound subscriptions. Um, We can do – meat club that has beef pork and chicken you can do a beef club that's all beef you can do a ground beef clubs that just ground beef those are our monthly subscription boxes
0: and is that all ran through your subscriptions are ran through barn to yes. Door too
1: yeah yeah everything is on barn to door yep. do they have an app yet uh they have i guess i'm not sure they like have an, have an app, app for, on your phone right for customers and stuff or for us like
0: yeah can you go on yes. your phone and manage inventory through yes. an app now
1: yep my wife does all the inventory management, but, yeah, I can go, like, check my inventory now. I don't know if it's an app or it's a link to the website. <laughs> okay. I was just curious. But, yeah.
0: um, Cool. Yeah, the kind of figuring out how to get more bundles, more pounds sold per customer seems to be the name of the game, right? Yeah.
1: Like, I think I would love to offer lamb and turkey and all these other things, right, because – feel like the challenge is finding new customers. Is that kind of what you're alluding to? So try to maximize what you can sell to each customer?
0: I think more so maximizing uh, or minimizing time per customer, right? With a delivery system, right? Going from delivering twice a month to once, you know, with consumer education on Mm -hmm. buying in bulk, price incentives to buy in bulk. Yeah. Yeah. Because that cuts down on so much right drive time handling
1: yeah it does it also i mean like you said i mean it's price incentives so if you just price it to where i'm happy to do the delivery because it's making me that much more than it would be you yeah know, alternatively, that's true like our our monthly meat clubs that are 11 pounds are like five dollars a pound more than buying a 45 pound eighth i think or something because like
0: that. of the delivery
1: it just well, one no the delivery is extra Just because they're buying a smaller quantity. Yeah. Because they're buying 11 pounds instead of 45. And so I'd
0: rather sell
1: more 11-pound boxes. To me, it's worth the extra $5 a pound or $55 a box to box that extra box as opposed to save making those four boxes and make one 45-pound box, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. No, it makes sense. I don't know. Yeah.
1: I don't know if that's right or not.
0: (laughs) Do you think you see people turn off, or do you see people go from the 11-pound to the 8th?
1: I, the majority of our sales are ace and still is bulk. Uh, I don't know what percentage, but the majority of our sales are eighths, quarters, and halves. But maybe 10 to 15, 15%, I think, is probably in uh, subscriptions, which we just started recently, mm-hmm. like a year ago. So it's picking up, um, and we're getting more and more monthly subscription boxes. Uh, and the nice thing about the subscription boxes, too, is, is they're not pre—those are not, like, set what's in them. So we can use that for our inventory management as well. Like if we have a bunch of extra stir fry, um, this monthly meat club, every monthly meat club's getting a box or a package of stir fry. Mm -hmm. Um, We can kind of use that to shift what, like we have this extra meat, so we'll put this in the monthly meat club this month.
0: Okay, and I guess a stir fry kind of like a fajita meat or it's yeah yeah or is it similar to like a kebab?
1: It's like long strips that you would make with like vegetables and beef or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, fajita. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah. It's, it's kind of nice for that reason, just to kind of be able to use like inventory management. I don't know if you have struggled with inventory management or not, but that's my biggest struggle is like, I would love to do restaurants, but you have a restaurant that wants all your steaks. What do you do with all your roasts? And you know, I not know, like yeah. the same thing with a customer. If we just listed everything on the website by the cut, um, we would be out of ribeyes tomorrow <laughs> and yeah. we would have this endless supply of all these other things. And so, that's constantly trying to manage how we get rid of everything before we bring in the next five head of beef
0: Yeah, is
1: our uh, challenge.
0: It's hit or miss with what, it seems like it's very specific. Like right now, most of it is ground beef, right? Is what I move the most of. Really? Yep. And we always have extra. <laughs> like, so that I have funny waiting, how that works. like right now I have a waiting list of people and I think Last time I looked, it was like over 300 pounds.
1: I should have brought a few. I could have brought you 300 pounds. <laughs> we always have extra of that. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: And that's kind of what I'm focused on is a ground, sure, you know, bulk yeah. ground beef business because it's easy to handle. You know, yeah. it's easy to sell. It's one pound. You know, it's not a bunch of random weights. It's packaged nice. It's vacuum sealed. Stores yeah. good in the freezer.
1: Do you have retail customers or is everything direct?
0: Uh, yeah. So that would be, I mean, basically it's emails from people and text message say, hey, I've been watching your website, but there's, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's nothing, you know, mm-hmm. and I've been out of stock for a while. So I have nine deep freezers. only have one on right now. Really? Yeah. Wow. It's been that way for a couple months now. And I'm... That's awesome. Well yeah. done.
1: <laughs> That's like a f- fantastic problem to have. Not even a problem. <laughs>
0: yeah. And so... Uh, but just focusing on kind of the ground, the ground side of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It just seems it'll like with working on genetics and what I'm doing. Right. I have cows of all sorts of sizes that mm. are, you know, like, okay, there was this bull made my, some of heifers too small. Mm. Right. And so I got these little fat 800 900 pound heifers you know and i got yeah some that were 11 so it's like to sell quarters halves and holes you know i have a spec only a certain number of slots um if i do five a month you know not all five will go to quarter halves and Mm holes because i can't because they're going to be all over the board so yeah using the outliers and and ground and and still taking stakes off of them but yeah um But just less steaks, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're smaller, so you have to be creative on how you market it. Sure. Breakfast steaks.
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. The family. I don't know, bite-sized steaks. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. So like a <laughs> like a ribeye that's half a pound, right? Uh, yeah. just like a little littler type heifer, right? Yeah. You just you know, we have a I have a breakfast steak, a petite ribeye and then a the normal ribeye.
1: Huh. It randomly just made me think of uh, Kit Farrow shared in his newsletter or description or something or as discussion group something uh, a company that com- it looked like I didn't look that close it dehydrates a full ribeye steak uh-huh you, you've seen that
0: I have seen those uh yes is it car it's is it carnivore crisps
1: that sounds right maybe but well, I fr- it's like a
0: th- yeah it's like it w- takes
1: like a pound one pound steak down to like three tenths of a pound yeah for, so it's for, basically yeah. steak
0: jerky right <laughs>
1: yeah it was like that's super creative. And it's like I just was thinking how small it is after dehydration. Looks yeah, like and then to shrink other, shrink yeah, one of yeah, my half pound it rimbives it's like you a size of a silver, yeah, yeah. <laughs> silver dollar. Looks yeah. like a Dorito. Exactly.
0: <laughs>
1: exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You saw some of my little cows out there. You Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, there is absolutely truth to efficiency in smaller animals. And if you can market it direct too or you don't have the dock that you might get at a sales barn or something.
0: Yeah, that's my biggest thing is Yeah you know, fantastic on, yeah. you know, a third period cow that weighs, you know, like a bred heifer of mine is weighs 650. Yeah. yeah. I have heifers calving at 650 <laughs> to 700, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, you take, a, <laughs> you take a hit. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I can, there is a, there is a line, right. Of pushing it to the extremes, right?
1: Yes. Yeah. No, so. I, I agree. And that's where we, like, like I mentioned with PCC 80% of our customers are still on a commodity market and so we've kind of chosen that 1100 1200 pound range as our ideal cow because we could get more efficient cows but then are we starting to push to the extreme where we're not no longer marketable on a commodity market
0: yeah because then your producers are or your buyers right Mm -hmm. your bull buyers are, (laughs) are making you know many herds many cattle
1: yes yeah and and i get kind of frustrated with some producers who i think are breeding bulls that make them money sure but they're not doing their customers any favors and if we start doing the same thing breeding smaller and smaller cows bulls for smaller and smaller cows for our customers and now they don't have a marketable calf Mm -hmm. we haven't done anyone any favors so
0: yeah that's a good point good point no but this has been fun
1: yeah yeah it's doing one in person you've got the nice setup here i do zoom with a with my upstairs attic that doesn't even have a closed door that we can hear my kids screaming in the (laughs) the living room and stuff so
0: yeah yeah it was one of those deals you know if i if it was too difficult right i just we sit down put headphones on and a mic and i hit a button if it's too (laughs) seems too difficult i I, would get tired (laughs) of it frustrated
1: yeah well, I, I look around at all the wires running everything, and I I probably would give up before I figured out how to plug everything into oh. the right stuff.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I put it together a spur of the moment one night. I needed awesome. uh, cell service to do a... Uh, I had a bunch of... Two episodes, they got deleted. Mm-hmm. And so I was still over, over in the other building, mm-hmm. and I don't have cell service in there. Oh. So that was... So then I... And they got... It, like, got... Completely messed up, and I need an episode for the next day. So I literally packed this all up in 20 minutes, raced over here, and then I just (laughs) threw it up. And I have not taken the time to to straighten it out.
1: That's fine. I'm just saying how much (laughs) there is. I'm not. Uh, Yeah. Oh, my brother is a computer software engineer and Uh took. All 100 percent of the technological intelligence from our family and left me with none. So uh, I have I have none of that. So I I don't know. It's it looks uh looks pretty it, pretty complicated. It looks scary. To me. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. I, yeah, yeah.
0: I, I need to tackle that at one point, but that'll be another day. No
1: problem. But,
0: yeah. No, I appreciate it. It's been fun. It's fun riding around and yeah, it you know, is looking uh, at cows and
1: I enjoy it. I appreciate you letting me swing by
0: oh anytime so yeah. well anything else you want to say add do plug
1: oh gosh
0: jared Lumen Herd quitter podcast one more time
1: yeah yeah Herd quitter podcast uh you can listen it wherever instagram facebook i have but i don't always post my episodes i'm pretty bad at that um you can find her if you're interested in our bulls or find them on feral cattle companies fall nebraska and colorado sale and you can find me on twitter at Just Jared Lumen. Yeah. Happy to Yep, Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, any one of them, Jared Lumen. Yeah. Okay. Happy to happy to talk. So
0: yeah. Sounds good. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. We'll talk at you guys later.